I'm in NDG with Laura Katib, uh, who is a Lebanese academic and activist who has recently been involved in organizing solidarity protests with the ongoing um, mass demonstrations that have been happening not only in Beirut, Lebanon, but in other parts of the country. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to talk to you a bit for Free City Radio about what's been happening. I mean, everybody's seeing the news in general, but I guess I would start by asking, what are two or three of like the key issues that you feel are driving what's happening and um, how are these being represented or not being explained well in the international uh, media because you're following on social media and also in media in Arabic what's okay. happening okay so um, I think the protests when they started the Immediately, people were actually mocking what's happening in Lebanon, that people are protesting over WhatsApp, like raising the taxes over WhatsApp. And WhatsApp is actually used in Lebanon as a free application um, by people who can't afford anymore to pay very high phone bills. And I, th I think it's very symbolic in terms of why people took the, to the streets. Sure, sure. Um, and, um, and it shows, like, really the... The ways in which the neoliberal reforms in Lebanon have been deepening since the post-war, so now we've reached like this tipping point because we are one of the most highly indebted countries in the world. Yeah. We rank third after Greece and Japan in terms of debt to GDP. And, um, and so the real problem is this, it's uh, yeah. neoliberal economic reforms yes. with um, a huge banking sector. So we have, the, this is one of the largest also in the region. And uh, the banking sector, which is responsible for the public debt and which makes a lot of money out of it. So it's like the main creditor for Lebanon and at the same time, it makes huge profits out of this and this structure existed since the post-war. Now the problem in Lebanon is that this is an, a non-productive economy, it's extreme financialization. So you have an expansion of the financial sector that had eaten up all of the other um, economic sectors. Of course you have construction and real estate and trade. Uh, but the real problem is this, it's financialization which uh, exacerbated the problems of uh, uneven economic development and the absence of it, and exacerbated also problems of unemployment, extreme inequality. So when you talk about really allow the situation in Lebanon such that you have people, 36% of the people, I don't know the exact numbers, but 36% are unemployed and almost 50% of the youth are unemployed. Let's, so. I, just, just to sort of conceptualize, uh, I mean, you went over it and thank you mm. for explaining that, but so mm. the banks being mm. the most important mm -hmm. aspect of the economy in Lebanon, but also the mechanism through mm -hmm which the banks are actually making profit mm -hmm. off of working and poor people in Lebanon. Can you break that down a little bit more yeah. and how that really has pushed people to the streets? Because yes. it seems like that's one of the major elements. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so to go back also, because, um, because this is not uh, something that started today. 
It's something that actually started way back in the post-war. So you're talking about a devalued currency and uh, the way to go about stabilizing the, the Lebanese pound to the US dollar was to keep very high uh, foreign reserves. And the way to keep very high foreign reserves is actually to raise the interest rate. And as you raise the interest rate, who benefits from this? It's obviously the banks, right? So, um, and so this is this has been the case um, over the years, and these banks. uh, Yeah, we're talking about. um, So what happened is that you wanted they wanted to pursue this macroeconomic stability in order later on to pursue the post-war reconstruction. Yeah. Uh, of Lebanon yeah. and to attract especially and so you need to attract also dollars right so to attract basically um, Gulf capital uh, as major investors in the uh, post-war reconstruction and this yeah. is not something new like uh, this is something that Lebanon post-war the post-war economy uh, revolved around basically but the main issue is also that the banks are owned by the mostly Uh, by the sectarian leaders. So the same people who are running this country, and there's a study by by an economist in the AUB uh, who traces uh, which bank is owned by whom. So it's basically, it's a vicious circle, right? So the, the banks who are the creditors and who are also controlled by the uh, sectarian leaders. So, right. yeah, so, um, and the problem is that, um, well, Lebanon has a huge deficit also. Yes. Yes. Um, a large, so, a huge part of this deficit is caused by also this, yes. that problem, and also by paying salaries, um, especially for for the public sector. The problem is not the low and the middle income, so it's not these people. The problem is that you have, uh, so you expect that under a neoliberal economy that the public sector would shrink, but especially in the last years, it has been expanding. So it's like you're talking about 300,000 who are mostly appointed. So new appointments are based on, not on merit, but on sectarian affiliations. And um, I think it's the second sector which is responsible also for uh, the question of deficit. So it's like, so. Um, so it seems that like like there, there's like an incapacity to have some some sort of. Um, it's almost as if the the economic decisions linked to the political decisions linked to the sectarian decisions hit a dead end. I yeah. remember in May, I, yeah. I was in Beirut briefly, the, um, there was a series of demonstrations about pension reform mm-hmm. that, were, that, was, that there was an attempt to implement pension reform, which was not, of, of course, affecting bank executives or yeah. the political class, but it was affecting public servants, especially retirees. Yes. But, but that idea of like options running out, mm. it seems like financially and politically, like yeah. Things sort of hit a wall? Yes, exactly. So if you want to think about it, of course, sectarianism does not, it's not new to Lebanon, so it's not something new. But if you want to think, especially in the post-war, uh, sectarianism has served 
the implementation and the deepening of the form of neoliberalism that we have in Lebanon, and especially the divisions of the sectors along the main uh, leaders. But of course, now, as you say, they're hitting a wall um, because of a number of things, right? Changes at the regional level, because we also rely a lot on, uh, as well, expats' uh, money, and this has been declining, uh, which is like a main source of revenue. Um, and actually in 2002, and I think more recently, we were also very close to a situation crisis and saved again by uh, foreign foreign aid assistance, so credits. So, I mean, yes, it's a vicious circle that has been postponed until now, I think, uh, people have reached uh, their limit for a number of reasons, right? Uh, we, we shouldn't forget also that last year, for example, the regional context or what was happening in the world also renewed the energy, especially with uh, Sudan rising right in December 2018. And the Lebanese people coming to realize that things probably won't be achieved in a short period of time, the way it was being advocated, right, concerning especially what we know as the Arab Spring. So now we know that the struggles should be prolonged uh, in order to uh, force concessions and to reach uh, something. So, yeah. uh, so I think there's a lot of learning uh, and there yeah. is, um, yeah, based on the so the 10 years, almost now nine years since the Arab Spring, what happened and um, Sudan last year. Um, and as you said, so the, the thing that happened in October was not in a vacuum, right? So there was, there was also the issue with the, with the work permits for Palestinians in the summer, right? So there was also an uprising in the Palestinian camps um, with solidarity from uh, Lebanese citizens. And these are so, Palestinians who were born in Lebanon. Yes, and are, exactly. Yeah, don't have the nationality. Yes, for uh, for political and other uh, reasons, uh, but you see, as as you said, things were accumulating. So, um, yeah. The, the, the translation between like the sort of various financial reasons that um, things have gotten to this point. I mean, of course, like the media talked about this attempt to tax WhatsApp calls, and you mentioned Laura the ways that. Like that is just basic communication, and because the cell phone systems are also part of the sort of corrupt um, mechanisms of profit that mm -hmm. are and connected. And very expensive, like yeah. one of the most expensive in the world, like the bills. So, so that's, I, I'm just I'm just wondering, like, in terms in terms of the financial aspects, could you maybe translate how, from your vantage point, um, these are issues you've studied as an academic too. How did this all translate down to people deciding to protest? Because mm. in a lot of, in terms of bread and butter issues, because mm. if you watch Lebanese news, the nuance of these financial realities is discussed to some extent, especially in the journals, it's talked about. But in terms of like pop television, it's not, right? So yeah. how, how did that happen? How did that translation from like financial instability mm -hmm. translate into people 
going on the streets. I mean, of course, there's poverty, mm-hmm. but how how do you think that happens in terms of people just saying enough is enough and and taking the streets? Well, the thing is that I mean, the the range of people who are really dispossessed now, dispossessed from the right to work, dispossessed from the right uh, to education, to health, yeah. to basic services to infrastructure i mean this base yes. is widening widening okay. so and you see downward yeah. so for the probably for the middle income you see a downward mobility yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you see a lot so f- from among the protesters the common thing that you hear is yeah. unemployment right yeah. Yeah. and and also people have realized that well throughout all of these yeah. years yeah. I mean these politicians also they, we don't have access to basic services infrastructure utilities you know like after uh, 30 years of civil war we still don't have electricity like this is ridiculous right and so um, and this is one also of the most problematic sectors in Lebanon so people realize that over the years i mean again so what we see now as um, as an upsurge of mobilization doesn't mean that previously people were not resisting because we were not seeing this in this scale but most probably i will tell you because i've been far also but i will tell you that people were surely um expressing that they're not any more satisfied and that this whole sectarian discourse that had uh veiled somehow the class discussion and the idea of you know like we're divided by social classes and that the sectarian identities are here to maintain these uh divisions among us so that we don't see anymore the class identities um this discourse is what is running out also you know like it's it's now uh declaring it's i think almost bankruptcy i mean i don't want to be also over optimistic about these things sure. but it's the first time i would say uh, in lebanese history yeah. um, that we see something of this scale although the class mobilization happened sure. before sure. the civil war and it happened throughout so if you think for example yeah. uh, it's not um, it's not precise to say that class mobilization did not happen because for example when hariri the father was trying to pursue and implement neoliberal policies up until the mid 1990s you had mobilization yeah. and resistance from uh, the um, the official federation yeah. of workers which was not yet co-opted by the sectarian parties yeah, right it was not yet so later on in 97 i think um they got rid of the independent person who was running the federation and who was resisting and then the sectarian parties um colonized if you want the the structure so what we see now i mean for me it's not happening right now it's not like this is a surprise it's something that yeah. has unfolded over that time sure, sure, sure. but right now it's the accumulation yeah. i think and it's um reaching like this uh, very like high point of people really feeling that they are uh, dispossessed sure, from sure. their from their capacity to reproduce themselves yeah, to yeah, yeah. live a dignified because yeah. you have so yeah like access to housing yeah. for example yeah. all of these things yeah. Yeah. um so i think uh yeah i think this is 
this could be an explanation. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, a common friend of ours, I, I saw him sharing about his um, participation on social media. And after one of the protests, Jad, he wrote, I remember he wrote, um, I went to the protest, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but I went to the protest tonight and the civil war is over. Mm. And, you know, I, I, obviously it was a romantic expression mm-hmm. in the sense that it was a hopeful expression. Mm-hmm. But I, I just wanted to talk a bit more about mm-hmm. how really, like, it's important to recognize how people from many different quote-unquote backgrounds I mean everybody is uh, born and living in Lebanon or from a regional country but it's important to like understand how there's a participation of all different religious communities as it were I mean the protesters aren't defining it through through that lens which is so important it's it's about rights economic rights justice against corruption yes um, so, so you're talking about how this transcends the divisions yeah. and how realistic this is to say that we're we're over with like we well, we transcended. Yeah, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think again um, now it's a moment where I can't predict the future, sure, right? Sure. I'm talking about how the past can teach us about the present. Yeah, uh, but I think. As you said, like a, a huge number of these people were actually most probably also following some sort of political parties, but sure, sure. or also people who are also independent because they have never been touched by these uh, parties. So when you talk about, uh, for example, the urban, some of the urban peripheries, right? Uh, some also when you talk about students, so uh, right, school students in yeah. particular. So you see these things. Um, I mean, I, th- I do think that, again, it's, um, it's a new identity yeah. which is being formed. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's right. So it's, uh, but like now to say um, in relation to the issue of the civil war, I don't see this happening. Like no, no. I I do think that uh, so far the protesters have kept with the idea that this is peaceful. Uh, that we are peaceful, despite the fact that there have been some uh, divisions in the last week, right? There has been incidents of violence, uh, but the people who are committed to the social struggle, who don't want to uh, act, who are actually fully committed to the idea of um, of um, challenging both yeah. the political and the economic structure because this is important. Yeah. They're not hijacking the movement, yeah. and these, I think, they constitute a good yes. ma- majority yes. in the streets. Yeah. Um, so these people have kept with the idea that we wanted to be peaceful. Now. The extent to which you can talk about an identity that englobes and that incorporates all of these different factions is a very difficult task. I mean, it's not something which is... Because you're also talking about different social classes that manifest themselves differently. So in the first week, I would say, or first 10 days, the social classes were different from what we're seeing right now, right? So these things are also should be part of the... Uh, discussion about new forms of identities is not only uh, the sectarian, right, sure, sectarian sure, sure, sure. divisions. So yeah, not to say that things are like 
gone or like totally yeah, right sure. disappeared they exist they're there what's yeah. good is that people are aware of it sure. they respond to it um, and um, respond to it how what do you mean so they know who is trying to actually hijack the movement uh, so far as i said the majority have kept with the idea that it's peaceful we're not using yes. any forms yes. of violence despite the fact that there has been blocking roads all of this uh, some, so, so, some yeah some sort of it i mean i don't know how much everyone agrees now yes. because uh, people obviously agreed to it to bring down the government but now uh, there is also like um, so there is doubt around uh, these strategies so I think yeah I think um, we, we have to stay a little bit positive about uh, what's happening yeah. otherwise okay. right sure. yeah and we have to also I think think of it um, I mean the lessons from Sudan Algeria say that things are not gonna translate immediately right I think that uh, this is a long process it's been 30 years uh, since we've been living with this so it would take time yeah, to yeah, think yeah. of alternatives um, sure. but it seems but people are committed to that like there are I assemblies guess. there's a lot of meetings there's discussion there's sort yeah. of a democratic space that's been that, that's been opening yeah so I think um, yeah I think so I'm again so I'm far I'm following from also like from this close. Yeah, so like <laughs> you read the news, you yeah. follow what's happening, but I don't know um, concretely uh, what is actually happening in terms of organizing. So if you want to think about change for me, I haven't seen any uh, experiences of real political sure. uh, accompanied with economic change without sure. any forms of organizing. Sure. So you need really strong organizing that would channel all of these um, economic demands through uh, neighborhood associations, through peasant organizations, through yeah. labor organizations that transcend also not only because it's not only the Lebanese labor force which works in Lebanon, right? Half of us are actually, not most of us are uh, have left the country, so it's it has to transcend also these issues. So and and so this is when we start, I think, to see things. Um, translating into the right I think uh, direction yeah, yeah. so today actually there were elections in the professional and the in the lawyers syndicate and oh, wow. an independent one so I mean this is these are steps um, there is the independent um, movement I forgot the translation but I think it's independent workers movement uh, and it's mostly professionals, right? So you have public sector and school teachers. So the, uh, yesterday they had a protest. So, I mean, when, when we start to see these forms of organizing happening, um, we, yeah, I mean, I think there will be more hope, um, yeah, towards translating these social economic demands into yeah. something so. Can you, you mentioned the uprising in Sudan and mm. also in Algeria. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, over recent years, there's been many um, protests uh, in North Africa, in the Levant and beyond, uh, of course, right now in many parts of the world. But um, internally, I'm just wondering like, if you could reflect on how there's an actual like dialogue that happens mm. in, in Arabic 
within the region that is different from the way the protests are viewed internationally. Like that sort of learning that happens internally. Because I remember when the Sudan uprising was happening, I was seeing so many of my friends in Lebanon referencing it or sharing things or even writing in Arabic about what was happening and, you know, being affected by what was happening. Yeah, so I think um, the first instance is to see, like, seeing actual solidarity emerging from protesters. Again, I wouldn't generalize, but yeah. yeah, so with Iraq, with Sudan, uh, with Algeria. So you see actually slogans uh, rising in solidarity and the whenever mass mobilization is happening, yeah. right? So these things. Um, in terms of actual learning, like how do activists yeah. learn, this is like, I think you need to talk to them immediately because I don't know, yeah, I don't know whether they adapted specific strategies or something from there, but yeah, so this question I cannot answer because I'm also like, I did not get the answer from them yet, so I can't answer mm -hmm. you on this one. Um, no so yeah, so yeah. Um. I guess, like, looking at uh, what has been happening, um, like, one way of boiling it down has been, okay, these protests are about corruption. Uh, well, uh, but but um, there's a larger call for social justice, for democracy, for an end to sectarianism. Um, Why is it important for people reading about these protests internationally to think about it in a broader sense? It's not just about corruption, it's about... Yeah, exactly. So when you speak about corruption, which is a big deal in Lebanon, um, I mean, theoretically, I would think, like the immediate assumption would be if you get rid of corruption, yeah. you you will end the problem. Well, the, the, the problem is, no, this is not really the real problem. The real problem is this economic model the neoliberal economic model that has commodified every aspect of life, uh, that had deprived people from their right to work, from, uh, from an economic and social justice. This is the problem. When you say and commodified every aspect, yeah, like, what so does like, that mean in Lebanon? Yeah, so like the health sector, you have to pay to go to uh, hospitals, right? Because uh, the public provider is very weak. Yeah. Uh, public schools, I mean, they've been good, but uh, I mean, recently you have contractual work, uh, right? So all of these things, but when most of the time people would go through, if they can afford, they would go through private education. Plus the state subsidizes uh, most of the, um, of the confessional schools and uh, and hospitals and all of these things right to keep people again divided so i would say um so i would say limiting the struggles to corruption is not addressing what the real problem is which is a problem of neoliberal capitalism and a rental economy in lebanon because we don't produce um, and the limits that this economy has reached. And so when you identify the problem as such, you start to think of the solutions in terms of this problem. Um, we want these corrupt leaders to return the money that they've stolen. Uh, we want them to resign and all of this, but this in itself will not solve the problems in Lebanon, which is the absence also of um, economic development and opportunities for people to survive in this country anymore, right? So, um, so yeah, I think, um, 
I think you're right that I think the media generalizes this, right? They generalize and say, well, this is the main issue. Less so is the talk about um, neoliberal capitalism. Yeah. Level, right? um, yeah. yeah, so... But neoliberalism is also connected to colonization in, in the area. And, of course, Lebanon is very known for its struggle against colonization, the occupation of South Lebanon by the Israeli military uh, until 2000. Um, understanding that relationship between like people's anger at neoliberalism and the way that the international economic order mm-hmm. has made a relationship with certain elites in Lebanon, how, how is, I know it's a huge question, but if you could just offer a few thoughts about how it's linked to um, also the resistance to colonization. Is there a connection? Because I see in the protests also like people making the regional connections, but also like making the link between their call for freedom in terms of like like a, a functional public system, a functional uh, um, uh, democratic system that is outside of sectarianism. I mean, the sectarian model was a, col- a colonial mm-hmm. mechanism of control in mm-hmm. a lot of ways in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Um, making that more like broader link also uh, if you have any uh, reflections on that so then then anti-neoliberal struggle being also an anti-imperial struggle you mean like yeah Um, and the tensions between this and the idea that well i think well for a for a long period of time also in post-war lebanon what we had is that um, all of the parties that existed were actually either accepting this model as uh, the de facto or like the the only model that can survive and like so the the formal political parties did not resist it except like very 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 few so on the one hand so when we talk about resistance uh, to occupation which is led by uh, Hezbollah right and and especially since the 80s, right? So we're talking about this. Um, Hezbollah had led the resistance, but at the same time, they, they didn't challenge the economic, neoliberal uh, economic policies. Um, so, I mean, and this is a dilemma. It's a dilemma for, I think, Islamism in the region. So what do I mean? It's uh, basically, it's accommodating not only the um, the status quo, but it's accommodating the economic model, right? It's reproducing also this economic model. And you see it beyond actually Lebanon. So if you think, for example, about the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, they accommodated neoliberalism yeah. and reproduced it, right? Um, and it even Tunisia, exactly. Uh, Tunisia, all of. The, so if you think about these uh, examples, right? So um, it says a lot. Um, about how these parties who were actually involved in either um, uh, resisting foreign occupation, all of this, but at the same time um, they had uh, had accommodated uh, this regime. And I think yeah, I mean it's a a huge dilemma, right? It's a huge dilemma for uh, for them. So, um, but the extent to which the current struggles 
um, actually reflect uh, or bring the banner of anti-imperialism uh, and all of this. I think people are uh, very much now also um, embedded in the day-to-day -day as well, although they do know that the banks are linked internationally and it's not only about local capital, but it's also a lot of daily struggles in uh, Lebanon. So, for example, like when you think about only last week raining and the country flooding with water and people not being able to access anything. So, you know, like these things would bring you back to the to um, to the challenges of this country. And when, in a way, it almost feels like there's a war. I mean, it's a different yeah. war, but it's like a war of like the degradation of the country through neoliberalism. I do think so, yes. Yeah. I do think so. Um, it's not unique to Lebanon. It's, uh, ex I think it's very difficult and it's extreme in this case. Again, because we don't have any productive sectors and we don't have um, any real actual resources that we can rely on. Um, so I think the real problem is that, for example, industry does not exist, agriculture, you know, like all of these things. So it falls back really on a, on a very, very difficult situation whereby, yes, it's, it becomes almost, um, yeah, it's becoming like almost impossible to survive in this, in this context, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome.